I've never been in the inside of a tank. I assume it's 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 very tight. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on, one of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me. Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be. Uh, I have a voice. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a member of the Following Films Network. This week, we're taking a look at Fury and Justice, and to do that, I have a repeat guest. I have Baruch from the Cinema Bun Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me back on the show. It's, it's great to be back. I think this is my third time on the show i finally got the the trilogy taken care of i guess you know, so to speak so that's, that's right. nice <laughs> and it's uh it's it's been an odd mix right like what was the you did looper and then dope yes and now fury like yes we're, yes, we're like yes covering the the gamut a little bit which is good exactly so, i'm very eclectic so yeah there good. you go uh so speaking of your show why don't you let people know about it so they can listen to it one of my favorite movie podcasts yeah thank you thank you um so yeah uh I, I'm a co-host of the Cinema Bun podcast along with uh, Tanja Renee Stidham. Uh, it's a weekly show. We talk about uh, a, a different movie every week, um, but we also talk about uh, different movie news uh, that's occurring, and uh, we also take uh, listener questions um, every week that we answer and discuss uh, on air that's related to movies in some fashion. Yeah, so if you're if you're interested in any of that at all, you know, take a listen. Uh, you can find all our information and, and past episodes on our website, cinemabunpodcast.com. Nice. All right, so before I jump into the psychological section, do you have a couple movie recommendations based on either the movie or the uh, or the theme this week? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the recommendations I have is another film directed by David Ayer. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name, Ayer, Ayer. Close enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, End of Watch. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Michael Pena. Um, and basically, it just it's, it's a movie that follows two LA, LAPD officers around over the course of like several months potentially years i I don't i'm not it's hard to tell how how long i guess time has passed within the film um but it's kind of shot in a found footage style uh and and it's you know really really uh, it's a movie i really really enjoy um and it's kind of a, a another film that david ayer uh has done i think he did end of watch before fury um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. End of Watch was one of those movies. Like, I can't even remember how I came across it. Like, I don't know if it was on like HBO or you know yeah. I got it on Netflix when I was still getting discs from Netflix, like a like a like a caveman when I was still using physical media through Netflix. <laughs> uh, and I was totally shocked by how good it was. Like, I didn't know who David Ayer was. I had, of course, working knowledge of Jake Gyllenhaal, who's kind of been around Hollywood for a while at this point. And I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, like, oh, this doesn't look that great. But then the movie kind of blew me away. And, like, you can say what you want about David Ayer's personality and the way he interacts with the media and some of the stuff he puts his cast and crew through, um, from what I've heard. But, like, I have to say, like, he's he's made a couple, at least a couple really good films. So, you know, maybe yeah. it gives us hope for Suicide Squad. Maybe not. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Uh, but what's your second movie recommendation? 
my second one, um, and this is a little bit more loosely, I guess, tied with this movie, but um, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I, 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 I try to take every opportunity I, I can to recommend that film. Um, mm. Good directed call. by Doug Doug Lyman and and starring you know Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, um, the connection there being it's 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 a movie about the military. Yeah, good enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the only connection. But uh, but yeah, um, soldier basically gets the ability to reset the day every time he dies, um, and it's it's kind of similar to End of Watch in a way uh, to to how you kind of described it. It, it was a movie that I I didn't think you know, was going to be that great necessarily, like from the trailers or anything like that. But after watching it, it was, it was a really, really well, well done film and just really entertaining and, and uh, just fun to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's fantastic. Sci-fi, 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 sci-fi. I feel like that was missed by way too many people. And whether you love or hate Tom Cruise, this is a perfect movie for you to watch. You love Tom Cruise. You get a Tom Cruise action sci-fi movie. If you hate Tom Cruise, you get to watch Tom Cruise die like a hundred times. It's awesome. Yes. So, and Emily <laughs> Blunt is like a revelation in that movie. Like, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, strong kind of badass female characters. And if you say you want that, watch Edge of Tomorrow. Because Emily Blunt, like, not only is a quote-unquote strong female character, like the kind of, like, real tough, real badass chick, but also is a real character in that film. It is more than just kind of the fight sequences and the action. Like, really, really good film. All right. So we will take a break, and I will talk about Justice, and then we'll bring Baruch back on to talk about Fury. All right, so it's time to talk about justice. So justice is the legal or philosophical theory by which fairness is administered. Of course, the concept of justice differs in every culture. And we'll talk about a lot of these different definitions as we go through. Uh, But I'll kind of give you an overview now. So an early theory of justice was set out by ancient Greek philosopher Plato in his work The Republic. Um, Then there was advocates of divine command theory, and they argue that justice issues directly from God. In the 17th century, theorists like John Locke argued for his theory of what's called natural law. Thinkers in the social contract tradition argue that justice is actually derived from the mutual agreement of everyone concerned. And in the 19th century, utilitarian thinkers, including John Stuart Mill, argued that justice is what has the best consequences for society as a whole. Theories of distributive justice concern, of course, what is distributed, between whom they are to be distributed, and what is the proper distribution. Egalitarians, which is all about equality, argued that justice can only exist within the coordinates of equality. John Rawls used a social contract argument to show that justice, and especially distributive justice, is really just a form of fairness. And property rights theorists like Robert Nozick take a deontological view of this distributive justice and argue that property rights-based justice maximizes the overall wealth of the whole economic system. Theories of retributive justice are concerned with punishment for wrongdoing, and restorative justice, also sometimes called reparative justice, is an approach to justice that focuses on the needs of victims and offenders. All right, so we'll start with divine command. Advocates of the divine command theory argue that justice, and indeed all of morality, is the authoritative command of God. Murder is wrong and must be punished because and only because God commands that it be so. Now, divine command theory was famously questioned by Plato in his dialogue, Euthyphro. Called the Euthyphro Dilemma, it goes as follows. 
Is what is morally good commanded by God because it is morally good? Or is it morally good because it is commanded by God? So this is a chicken or the egg. So the implication is that if the latter is true, if it's morally good because it's commanded by God, then justice is totally arbitrary. There's no reasoning behind it. But on the other hand, if the former is true, if it's commanded by God because it's morally good in its nature, then morality exists on a higher order than God, who becomes basically just a passer on of moral knowledge. So then where does it come from and why do we need him? Right. So you can see how this probably sent people into kind of hissy fits around this period of time. Many apologists have addressed the issue typically by arguing that it's really just a false dilemma. For example, some Christian apologists argue that goodness is the very nature of God and there is necessarily reflected in his commands. Another response popularized in a couple contexts by Immanuel, Immanuel Kant and C.S. Lewis is that it is deductively valid to argue that the existence of objective morality implies the existence of God and vice versa. So there's a lot of room there. Now, for advocates of the theory that justice is a part of natural law, like John Locke, they tend to involve the system of consequences that naturally derives from any action or choice. In this, it's similar to kind of the laws of physics. In the same way as the third of Newton's laws of motion requires that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction, justice requires, according individuals or groups, what they actually deserve, merit, or, or are entitled to. So justice, according to these people, is a universal and absolute concept. Laws, principles, religions, and everything else are merely attempts to codify that concept, sometimes with results that entirely contradict the true nature of justice. Now, of course, a lot of justice is about fairness. So in his, in his work, A Theory of Justice, John Rawls used a social contract argument to show that justice, and especially distributive justice, is just a form of fairness, an impartial distribution of goods. He asks us to imagine ourselves behind a, quote, veil of ignorance. This denies us all knowledge of our personalities, our moral character, our social status, our wealth, our talents, our life plans, everything about us, and then asks, what theory of justice should we choose to govern our society when the veil is lifted? Now, we don't know at this point who we are and therefore can't bias the decision in our own favor. So this decision in ignorance models fairness because it excludes selfish bias. He argues that each of us would reject a utilitarian theory of justice because there's a risk that we might turn out to be someone whose own good is sacrificed for greater benefits for others. Instead, we would endorse Rawls' two principles of justice. One, each person is to have an equal right to the most extensive total system of equal basic liberties compatible with a similar system of liberty for all. And two, social and economic equalities are to be arranged to the greatest benefit of the least advantage consistent with what he calls the, the just savings principle. And now we move forward to retributive justice. So this is concerned with punishment for wrongdoing, and it answers three questions. One, why punish? Two, who should be punished? And three, what punishment should they receive? So there are two theories of retributive justice, and they both try to answer these three questions. The first is utilitarian, and the second is, is a retributive theory. So utilitarian, according to them, as we already noted, justice requires the maximization of total welfare across all relevant individuals. Punishment fights crimes in three ways. One, deterrence. The credible threat of punishment could lead people to make different choices. Well-designed threats will lead people to make choices that maximize the welfare of all. Two, rehabilitation. Punishment might make bad people into better ones. For the utilitarian, 
all that bad person really means is person who is likely to cause bad things, like suffering. So utilitarianism could recommend punishment that changes someone such that they are less likely to cause these bad things. Third, security and incapacitation. Perhaps there are people who are irredeemable causers of bad things. If so, imprisoning them might maximize welfare by limiting their opportunities to cause harm, and therefore the benefit lies with protecting society. The reason for punishment is the maximization of welfare across all, and punishment should be of whomever and of whatever form and severity are needed to meet that goal. And here we run run into a problem. This can justify punishing the innocent or giving disproportionate severe punishments if as long as they have the best co- consequences overall. Okay, imagine shoplifting becomes a major problem. One way to stop people from shoplifting is executing a few suspected shoplifters live on television. That might be an effective deterrent to shoplifting, for instance. But is that right? Is that just? Is that fair? And I would argue it definitely is not. So it suggests that punishment might turn out never to be right, depending on it's all dependent on the consequences. All right, so the second one is retributivism. People who believe in this will think that the utilitarian's argument is disastrous. If someone does something wrong, we respond to it individually, to him or her, as an individual and not as a part of some calculation of overall welfare. To do otherwise is is to disrespect him or her as an individual human being. If the crime had victims, it also disrespects them. Wrongdoing must be balanced or made good in some way, and so the criminal deserves to be punished. It says that all guilty people, and only guilty people, deserve appropriate punishment. This matches some strong intuitions about just punishment, that it should be proportional to the crime and that it should be of of only and all of the guilty. However, it's sometimes argued that this is just revenge in disguise. But there are difference between, differences between retribution and revenge. Retribution is impartial and has a scale of appropriateness, whereas revenge is personal and potentially unlimited in scale. So obviously this all sounds good. Retributivism sounds like a great idea, but it makes me wonder, like, how would you actually institutionalize this? Like, there's no way to know everyone who is guilty and what they're guilty of and what the exact right punishment is. All right, so now we move to restorative justice. Restorative justice is an approach to justice that focuses on the needs of victims and offenders instead of satisfying these abstract legal principles or punishing offenders. Victims will take an active role in the process while offenders are are encouraged to take responsibility for their actions to, quote, repair the harm they've done by apologizing, returning stolen money, or doing community service. It's based on a theory of justice that considers crime and wrongdoing to be an offense against an individual or a community rather than the state or society at large. Restorative justice that fosters dialogue has actually been found to have the highest rates of victim satisfaction and of offender accountability. Okay, so there's an evolutionary perspective as well. Evolutionary ethics suggest that there is this evolutionary basis for the concept of justice. A lot of research argues that human perceptions of what is appropriate in terms of criminal justice are based on how to respond to crimes in these ancestral small group environments, and that these responses are not always appropriate for today's larger societies. All right. As far as reactions to fairness, there was a study at UCLA in 2008 that indicates that reactions to fairness are really hardwired into the brain and that fairness is activating the same part of the brain that responds to food in rats. This is consistent with the notion that being treated fairly satisfies a basic need. Research conducted in 2003 involving capuchin monkeys demonstrated that other cooperative animals, as humans are as well, also possessed such a sense of 
And that inequity aversion or the aversion to unequal treatment may not be uniquely human. And this indicates that the ideas of fairness and justice are instinctual in nature. And the last thing I want to bring up is this institutional quality of justice, because that's how in our societies now justice is enacted. It's not a personal thing. It's done by the state usually. So in a world where people are interconnected but they disagree, these institutions are really required to make these ideals of justice work. Now, of course, this is a problem because sometimes these institutions really work and sometimes they're really deeply unjust when compared with ideal standards. The perfect example is the institution of slavery. Justice is an ideal the world fails to live up to, sometimes due to deliberate opposition to justice despite understanding, which can be disastrous. So the question of institutive justice raises these issues of legitimacy, procedure, codification, interpretation, and they're all considered by legal theorists and by philosophers of law. But in the movie we're talking about today, there is no institution, and we see how things go awry really quickly. And there's a lot of talk about justice in this movie, but there's also a lot of argument about whether there is a right way and whether justice really exists in the kind of fog of war. So right now we're going to go back to the movie and talk to Baruch of the Cinema Bun podcast about Fury. All right, so we're back to talk about Fury. So Baruch, what was your introduction to this movie? When did you when did you first watch it? Um, so I I remember actually reviewing it for um for my podcast back in 2014, but I mean, like I, 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 there wasn't, there wasn't much that I kind of expected from this film. First being that, you know, it was another world war two war film and, and there's been a lot of those, I think it's safe to say. (laughs) Um, and, and there wasn't necessarily anything from the trailers that made it seem unique or or interesting in in any way it, it seemed kind of typical um yeah. and, and so my my expectations going into watching this film were were fairly low and and honestly i only saw it because i think there was nothing else out that weekend and we needed to review something for our show so, we gotta watch something like <laughs> yeah we gotta watch something so okay we'll we'll watch this thing and so that's that's kind of how i got introduced to it i remember i remember like really remember specifically the trailers just not not making me feel like not making me feel like this this movie you know had anything that was going to make it special or unique in any way um and and that it might even be like super cliche in mm-hmm. a lot of ways um but it it, it was quite the opposite <laughs> once i saw yeah. the film it was in my opinion as far away from cliche as i mean there were moments for sure but well, as in far any war cliche, movie you're going to have yes yes yeah. yes um but in a lot of ways it was it was it, it went away from a lot of war clichés um and was just so i guess violent is the best you know <laughs> just so violent. violent might not be a strong enough word for yeah. some of the images in this film oh, yeah gosh but it was yeah i i i found this film to be Really, really good. Um, yeah. Really surprising. And I, I found myself enjoying it all the way through. Right. Yeah, I didn't actually see it in the theaters for some of the reasons that you mentioned. I think this movie came out maybe a little bit before I started doing my podcast. And when I started doing it, I wasn't doing new releases anyway. So I wasn't like, mm-hmm. like I got to pick something. Um, and, you know, of course, this was it was after uh, Inglorious Bastards. So uh-huh. you already have this image of Brad Pitt in this kind of World War II era, 
in a, a similar look, similar haircut, similar kind of vocal tendencies. And I saw the trailer and I was like, you know, I saw that already. I don't I don't really need to watch two two hours and 15 minutes more of uh, of Brad Pitt in a very similar kind of role. Um, but so I ended up seeing it when it was out on video, I think like at the behest of some of my friends in podcasting who were losing their fucking mind over this yeah. movie. Like it's so fucking, you gotta see it. It's amazing. You know, and I was like, really fury. All right. And I checked it out and they, they were right. It is really, really good. And it does. And you brought up a really good point that it takes a lot now to impress us when it comes to war movies, war movies in general, especially world war two, it seems to be. Kind of like there was a period of time where it was really popular to make Vietnam movies, and now we've yeah. switched to like World War One, World War Two. So we've seen a lot of things, and with special effects, we can kind of recreate, you know, whether it's you know the storming the beaches at Normandy or you know legs and heads being blown off by by tanks. And this movie, we can recreate a lot of these really powerful images. So it does take a lot to kind of jolt us, and I think. That's like the best way I can describe how I felt watching this movie. Like there are so many points where you just feel shocked and not just by what happens, but by how it appears on screen and how the interactions between these characters work. And if you would have told me like, we're going to make a movie and it's just going to be about these four guys in a tank, I'd be like, eh, I don't know if I need to watch that, you know, because like it's essentially in a, in a lot of ways, except for a couple scenes in the movie, it's like a locked room drama, but set inside the belly of a tank. Uh, which is at least a very, and I, honestly, if they would have told me that in the trailer, that's more interesting to me than what they showed, you yes. know, than, than what they kind of put out there. But so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's, I, I don't think it's like a perfect war movie. I think there are better ones out there, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even, even with all the World War II films that, you know, are out or that you've seen, it's 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 interesting to take that period of time because I feel like there there are a lot of stories that you can pull from that. It just so happens that I think whether it's it, whether it's the style of of how these stories are portrayed on film or or just the stories themselves seem to always be pretty similar. Right. <laughs> um, and so we don't really get the, to see a lot of these different stories. Like this is I don't remember another film, and I mean, I, I don't have as much of an extensive memory of, of, of all World War II films or anything like that, but I don't remember a, a film about a tank crew. No, I, I think this is, if not the first, it's, I think there's like a, a film in the 30s or 40s called Sahara, uh, but mm. like, especially in modern film, this is not yeah. something you see, which is strange because it's something you feel like, oh, we can do this better now. We could recreate this in yeah. a better way now, but it's it's very rare that that we see that. And and you're right. I think that helps us get like a, a new, a new look at kind of an old story. And um, as far as how visceral the, the, the violence was in this film, I mean, you know, completely agree. And I think it's, it's worth noting that it wasn't, it wasn't violent. It never felt like it was violent just for the sake of violence. It right. always felt kind of appropriate. Like it still was like kind of shocking and something that, you know, as an audience, you're not quite used to seeing in that in that form, you know, right. so, so so many times. But it's war, and it's 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 a gruesome war. And I mean, like the 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 setting, the characters, everything surrounding the violence, you know, made it feel like that violence was very very appropriate. And and so it never it never kind of took you out of the film. Yeah, you know, it it drew you in, which is which is great. That's that's how that's how you make 
a compelling story. You know, yeah. he, it's not violence for the sake of violence in this case. Exactly. Uh, so let's jump into the direction, as you mentioned, directed uh, by David Ayer. And I think, honestly, this may be the most impressive thing he's done so far. Like, I really liked End of Watch. Um, but in terms of direction, I don't think it I mean, you know, it's a little bit yeah. found footage. It's a little it's made a little bit more on the cheap. Um, but yeah. this is this is really impressive work. Like there are some choices in the very beginning of the film that really struck me on rewatch is uh, one of the things is, you know, movie opens, screens completely black and you just have this sense of panic via the radio. Like everything that's going on in the background, like as as someone who's never been in the military, never been in war, I have no idea what's going on on that radio. But I know the yeah. voices are panicked and these are people who are used to situations like this. So it's kind of set up from the beginning as things are going wrong. So you have to be on your toes, which I think is just this great choice um, to open a film with to know that things are not safe. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a perfect choice. and I mean, it, it set the tone right away a tone that you know continued throughout the rest of the film this just sense of everything is fucked (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) like that was that was really i mean that to me was the central like emotional uh, i guess the pull that that you as an audience member got from from everything that happened just everything is fucked and this just sense of dread and and like suspense and so, yeah, and, and I mean, David Ayer's direction throughout the film really, you know, set that tone well. Um, right. In addition to the cinematography being actually really, really nice, uh, I'm taking from, you know, just pulling from the, the very beginning of the film, right after you hear all those voices, you you see the, the, the first shot oh, is a guy, gorgeous. It's a guy on a horse, yeah. right, on the horizon, and there's there's light behind him. All the light is behind him. So it's this like silhouette of him kind of riding slowly towards the camera. Mm-hmm. And as he continues coming up and, and coming towards us, we, we get a, a view of the whole, I guess, battlefield. It basically, it, it looked like a machine graveyard, just yeah. just tanks and cars just, you know, burnt up or like damaged and and bodies and that's when you know you knew like oh god we're we're right. in we're we're, we're in hell <laughs> like, yeah this is, I'm I'm uh, really glad you brought up that scene because I think it's I mean one it's just visually so pleasing that that shot that you described but also it's kind of turning a lot of things on its head like we talked about you have this panic in the beginning with the radio and then you have like this lone figure on a white horse which is a very like. Um, kind of Western or war heavy image where it's like, oh, we have our lone hero on the yeah, horizon yes. and, and everything's going to be okay. And I love that they show him slowly and slowly. And then you show that he's got like a, like an SS uniform on. So, you know, like we're already playing with your expectations. And then we have this kind of savage uh, killing of him by Brad Pitt's character. Like this is not this is not the world you think it is. This is not the world of movies. There is no savior on a white horse. Like from the very opening shot of the film, like don't ever get comfortable. And I thought like, wow, like what a visceral, like energetic moment to start this movie with. And actually kind of gutsy in a war movie to start with this really quiet moment that takes a good minute for him to get down to to viewing level and for us to figure out who he is. I also like this kind of... uh dichotomy of that scene where you have kind of the old versus new right you have the the guy on the horse which is a very kind of ancient 
war image and then you have the the tank commander killing him i thought that was like this interesting uh kind of duality in that scene that is interesting yeah i didn't even i didn't even think about that yeah but it 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 does kind of harken to that just (laughs) this man riding through on a horse um and just really i mean you know going back to what you're saying about it just being so kind of peaceful in that moment when I think you can when you can clearly tell by all the carnage left behind that this was not a peaceful area. This was not <laughs> right. like nothing. Nothing peaceful went on here. Right. <laughs> not at all. Um, but you have this very, you know, and then obviously like a deliberate choice to have him riding a white horse. Right. Um, it just, you know, to 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 kind of lay on and, and really kind of point to the dichotomy between this man riding this white, pure horse, this calm thing through this, you know, the aftermath of this intense battlefield and then, and then getting, you know, being killed by <laughs> um, uh, Brad Pitt's character. And it's, oh my God, it's <laughs> like in such a gruesome way. I just, yeah. <laughs> like they acted because usually, I mean, he stabbed him in the head and, and the way that the head, because the, the camera lies, lays on the head for, for at least a second just enough time for you to see the knife get pulled out of like maybe his eye socket. I don't know, but it was, <laughs> Oh, it was such, it was such a good way. Just all of that. The, the, the beginning sounds from, from the, the uh, radio to the intro cinematography to the intro killing right. all of that together, just painted this picture of like, everything everything is fucked yeah and it gets you and like you said it gets you prepared for the rest of the movie that this is a movie that is not going to pull punches we're not going (laughs) to like you know have him go for the knife and fade to black like no we're gonna we're gonna let the camera linger on kind of the awfulness of war and what these people had to do and what they had to sacrifice which i which i like i like that we're not like like romanticizing what's going on because this is awful like there's and that's why our theme is justice there's a lot of talk in the movie about like there is no right or wrong here it's just like what you have to do to survive which i think yeah you know makes a lot of sense the other thing air does re- does really well is i think a lot of movies that are action-based you run the risk of one of those action scenes being more epic for lack of a better word than your final action scene and i think all of these action sequences, all of these set pieces taken by themselves are amazing to watch and really enjoyable from an audience perspective. But I think each one ramps up just a little bit more. So there's never a point in the movie where you're like, oh, I've seen this before or I'm disappointed by this. Because like if you look at like the first uh, the first action sequence compared to the last like kind of final battle where they're in front of the farmhouse, like mm-hmm. there's a drastic difference in scope between those two. So I think yeah, he really, yeah. he really does that well. I think the other thing to that is that each, as, as each, I guess, action sequence kind of like ramps up and ramps up it, each action sequence still feels like there's the potential that our main characters will die in each one. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's still that sense. You never quite feel like they're safe, which is, which is hard to do. Very hard to do. I mean, like, especially as people who, watch films all the time right we understand like oh there's the hero okay yeah yeah yeah. game of thrones is probably the only thing where it's like oh god anyone really can die (laughs) you know we we understand how films and and scripts work yeah um but but even even so in this film you know even with that knowledge 
the way that the scenes are built and the way that the action sequences take place, you, you still kind of feel like there's a potential that they won't make it from this, which, which, is, which is fantastic. That's how you build a scene well. So yeah. yeah, I also think Air is a is a master at shooting inside that tank. Like I I can't imagine oh, what had to go on and what things had to be had to be rigged in order to make this work. Because you get that feeling of everyone being too close for comfort, but it never feels like from a directorial perspective that they're struggling with that. There's even yeah. a couple scenes when everyone else has left the tank and you just have our Logan Lerman's character and Brad Pitt's character talking. And you have Brad Pitt like kind of swing a portion of the of the tank to the side so they can look at each other. And that shot was like really memorable to yes. me where you're like, I don't know how you did that, but you still get the sense that they're in the tank. But it still feels like this is a scene that could take place in the real world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually now that you say, it, yeah, it's it's really impressive. I mean, like, I don't know. I've never been in the inside of a tank. I assume it's 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 very tight. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a safe assumption. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if in this case, like it, it did seem, it, it, it did seem cramped at times. At other times, it did seem very spacious. Like mm-hmm. kind of like a like kind of like when you when you watch sitcoms nowadays, and you're like, right. how the hell can they afford an apartment that huge? <laughs> I don't understand. Right. What? <laughs> um, it, it felt kind of like that at times but but i think that the you know that aside coupled with how the characters acted how they interacted um and and coupled with just the 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 sense that you got in each scene it never it never felt like the dimensions of the tank were were out of line necessarily right. you kind of understood this was a group of people spending a lot of time together in a close space and and yeah, so it's just yeah, well done crafting crafting that as well. Yeah, the other choice he made, I thought that was really interesting, was not using subtitles in this movie for for right. most of the German. Right. Uh, I thought that like when I when I first watched it, when I watched it at home, I was like, something wrong with my copy. Like, should I be understanding yeah. <laughs> with you know? Because I think we're so used to that, especially when one of our main characters is the one speaking German. We have Brad Pitt's character, a kind of. I think we go into this movie thinking Brad Pitt is is a hero, and I think we are quickly uh, relieved of that of that assumption in this movie. But as he's talking and he's speaking German, I think it's such a such a smart decision to not show what he's saying to get it through context because none of the other guys know what he's saying either. He's the only one who speaks German, and I think it it lends also a sense of realism. And when we get later to talk about the the kind of dinner scene. Uh, I think it lends this kind of like a little bit of terror to that scene, too, that not everybody understands one another, which I think it's just a super smart decision. Yeah, yeah, it's it was it was definitely a risk, I think. Oh, just, yeah. Just in doing that. And and again, I, I, I agree. I kind of was like, wait, what where are the <laughs> what, what are they saying? <laughs> But, but, you know, after that kind of initial shock that like, you know, how, <laughs> why are they not including subtitles? It, I, I, I loved the choice to do that because, I mean, similarly from my perspective, it didn't, it didn't necessarily matter, you know, and, you know, thanks to how they set these scenes and thanks to how the actors kind of did their, their part in emoting and, and, and body language and things like that. It, it wasn't necessary for me to understand the, the context for me to understand the emotions, the you know, right. kind of a general feeling, you know, surrounding these interactions, and that's that's what 
you wanted to get across. And, and again, it definitely helped to continue this sense of kind of dread, right, right. And, and, and suspense um, that the film was so hell-bent on, you know, continuing. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, it, great choice. Kudos. Yeah. I'm yeah, I think the only so, other the only other movie I've seen that do that recently is uh, is Captain Phillips, uh, where you have all the scenes with kind of the oh, Somali pirates. They have they do a yeah. similar thing where you have this moment like, should I be understand? No, okay, and you just yeah. kind of go with it. And I think yeah. it's uh, it, it can be a really smart choice, but you have to really trust your actors and trust your direction, trust that context that you're building because if you haven't built it, your audience is going to be both confused and angry. Like yeah. I yeah. should know what's happening. I am the audience here, and I thought like, wow, really, really gutsy choice. But I think it really works in this case. Definitely. All right. So let's move to the acting. So we essentially have our five main characters. We have Brad Pitt, uh, Logan Lerman, who in a lot of ways is kind of our audience surrogate. He's like the innocent kid who's been cast into service. And then we have Shia LaBeouf uh, as our like kind of Jesus, Jesus freak character. We have John Bernthal playing what John Bernthal always plays uh, up until <laughs> up until maybe the the Punisher, which is a little bit more of a layered character that he's playing in the Daredevil series. He's always kind of the like the the jerk, the tough guy, and he he plays that like to the hilt here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course Michael Pena as well. And you know we have some other other known actors in small parts, but it's really about these five guys. So. Were there any of these performances that really stood out to you? All of them. I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> to me, I mean, the whole ensemble was just you know so so good. I I actually so so one of the things I I went into the movie expecting was to be really annoyed by Logan Lerman's character just because right. he's kind of the you know uh, wet behind the ears you know uh, uh, guy who comes in and you know blah 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 uh, you know and and so you know you and if you look at the guy he already looks like that and you're like oh yeah oh, i'm supposed to respect <laughs> this this like 12 year old please oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> then by the end he's gonna do something heroic like you know th- that's the kind of cliche that yeah that does occur in this film so nah. <laughs> right um but i mean his his performance was was great um, I, I, I really, you know, came around to, to his performance. I think, you know, mainly because of what the, the character himself, you know, kind of went through in the film, um, especially in, in relation to the, the rest of the, you know, crew. Um, so every, every, every character in this film was just so, so good. They, I, I, I loved their interaction with each other the most um it really felt like a crew that had been together for a while but not they weren't so like buddy buddy you know quip quip type of like avengers type of buddies you know (laughs) right they were i mean for part of it you felt like they hated each other (laughs) yeah and And if you spent that much time in a tank with anyone oh yes no matter how much you like them like you'd be like you know i am sick of looking at your face like i could take something different at any point now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you know, it felt like they they knew enough about each other to like push those buttons whenever they wanted to. And they yeah. did in the film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they would push those buttons and just act like real jerks to each other. And then other times they would like be very, you know, uh, just supportive in, you know, more of like a, you know, rah-rah masculine I'm in war kind of a way, but you know, but still showing that they they had each other's backs and things like that. And and just that was was so well done and so believable and and so interesting it 
it really it made the film right if, if right. the characters especially in a film like this where the characters are a big deal of within the film the action is there and all that stuff and the violence but the characters are in this is for most films, you know, you know, usually, but the, the characters really, really, really made it here. And these actors right. all did such a phenomenal job. Yeah. I mean, I think the person who stood out to me the most and probably just because I was surprised at how much I liked his performance was Shia LaBeouf. Like he was uh, yeah. phenomenal yeah. here uh, when like that was one of the things I heard like, oh, Shia LaBeouf plays a uh, plays a guy in the army who who reads from the Bible. I'm like, oh, God, no, I have no interest. <laughs> like that sounds like all the things I hate in the world yes. all wrapped up into one thing. <laughs> But it that's is your worst enemy. That, yeah. that, that that fuels your nightmares. Yeah, the perfect I, storm right there. Uh, but he was really good. And you talk about these these moments of camaraderie. There's a scene where you know they're just they're in the tank and they're all kind of standing up outside of the tank and they're kind of testing him about like who would go to heaven. Like, and so you know somewhere in the past they had this conversation and he lost his shit and was just like, don't you ever ask me about that again? And I like that they don't need to show that, but just in their conversations, you get that you get that history between yes. all these people. And I think if anyone stands out as maybe too much of a stereotype, it's probably John Bernthal's character. Like he is I like I don't think there's I hope that there are not people in the world like this character. Like he he but I'm uh, sure there are. Like he Yeah. <laughs> I think he's the one out of all of them that <clears throat> most enjoys the violence and the mayhem and the death. Like he's mm-hmm. just I don't know if he's just seen so much of it that that's all he knows now, but I think he is easily the most terrifying character in the movie. He's scarier than than any Nazi that's on screen in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I definitely agree with 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 that. You know, to an extent, and and I think, um, and this is this might be just me kind of putting that on the character because it, it it you don't really get the sense or you don't get much uh you don't really get a scene with him where he's like i guess you know contemplating you know the the consequences of his actions necessarily like right. you do with with brad pitt's character let's say um but i feel like that's maybe a consequence his being maybe a little bit more psychotic than the other characters right. is a consequence of his his defense mechanisms or how he deals with all the violence that he's seen and and you know, like so, like you said, I I, I did kind of come out of that thinking that way, um, but it's not necessarily because of any particular scene. Just kind of what I poured into, you right. know, that character from from my interpretation of everything in general. Um, but I, I will I will also you know very much agree with you that Shia LaBeouf 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 um, <laughs> was was the was the actor that really impressed me just because my expectations were the lowest for him right yeah <laughs> you know so he like he had the most like the the, the the i guess biggest uphill climb as far as like my expectations were concerned yeah. and he he did it he did a fantastic job like yeah. a really really good job and and it made me made me consider uh i mean i shy shy is an interesting an interesting guy to say the least i mean <laughs> i i don't i don't ever think I don't think I've ever questioned him as an actor necessarily, but just as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> He's just interesting. Yes. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> yeah. I also um, think uh, Michael Pena, I think his performance is, is pretty good here and pretty measured. I think most movies Michael Pena is in, they, 
they err on the side of comedy, right? Like just the oh, just yeah. let the man riff. Like if you look at Ant Man, which he was actually really enjoyable in, like give me that Michael, like give that guy his own movie. I I would absolutely watch that. Yeah. But I think he was actually more impressive here than in than in most movies because it is a dramatic performance with comedic kind of undertones to it. Um, but I never felt like because when I heard about this cast, I was like, really, Michael Pena, is that really going to fit here because he's so comedic? And, yeah. you know, but then I thought of, you know, end of watch and I was like, OK, maybe he can do this. But I think he was actually even better here in a small role than he was in end of watch. His, I do agree that his, his performance was kind of measured here of of all the performances. His his was the one that maybe didn't stand out. As right. much to me, and and so part of that was his, his definitely his performance, just in general, or how his character was kind of built. But also part of that, I think, was just how he was written. I'm 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 not right. sure. I'm trying to think of like a standout scene that was kind of made specifically for him. And I don't, oh, I don't think there are any. I think he's yeah. always there as kind of an adjunct, even in the scene, the kind of dinner scene. He's he's playing third fiddle. Maybe even fourth fiddle in that scene. Yeah. Like it's not about him. It would have been nice to see him get a little bit more, right. um, you know, as 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 a character. Because I love, yeah, I, I love Michael Pena, and yeah. <laughs> I want him. I want him in all the things. But yeah, this this one was probably yeah in this movie he just wasn't given as much as as anyone everybody else, or at least not that like scene, right. like really like the scene that everybody else definitely got. Yeah. But I also do think like all these characters we talked about are great, but Brad Pitt really is is the glue of this movie. He holds this movie together because I think he has parts of all these characters in him. Like there's still a Logan Lerman part of his personality. There's and you get that in that dinner scene where he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just a human being. He just wants to eat a meal and like have a nice have a nice evening. But then there's he's there's a savage part of him, too. And I like that. You know, this movie doesn't really – we'll talk about this more in a bit, but this movie doesn't give you anyone to root for. There are no heroes. Nope. Even Logan Lerman's character, I think at the beginning you're like, this pansy, just – you're you're, yeah. you're in the army. Like do – and yeah. there's a lot of this kind of talk in the movie, do your job. Like we're not asking you to do anything that we're not doing. So right. you can't be fully in his camp, but you also have, you know, Brad Pitt like forcing him to murder somebody in cold yeah, blood. That, oh so, my god, that scene. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah that 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 scene where he was forced to kill that uh, Nazi soldier was was really really tough because I think you yeah. know as a, as an audience you know in general we're like okay you know I mean Nazis are, are pretty easy to hate you know I think yeah <laughs> and, safe and bet so, yeah <laughs> um I mean if if you want if you want a, a villain in your film <laughs> like the most effective one is a Nazi it's just right <laughs> every every audience member is going to And in that them. scene in particular you have a Nazi who has we assume killed american soldiers and stolen their clothes so yes. it's like even more of yeah. the easy yeah. target but i think yeah. that scene is so well performed both by Lerman and Pitt like Lerman's like panic and just like like basically offering up his own life like i don't want to become i don't want to become yeah. you I don't want to become that cold and that detached and yeah. that separate. And Brad Pitt's like very calm, like, nope, this is what you got to do. This is who you are now. Get used to it. It's terrifying. Very much so. Very much so. And I think it, it, it really reminds us, um, and this is definitely the, the, the case for me, it, re it reminds us that this is like killing is very, very just uh, – it, 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 
eats at your soul. It like right. kills your soul in a, in a way. And it's something that in movies, you know, you can very easily become desensitized to. And, you know, just it, in that scene, like I, I, I kind of remember in the beginning, you know, thinking, okay, you know, yeah, you, you should kill this Nazi. What the hell? What are you doing? You know, but as the scene goes on and you see the dread in his face and you, you right. really like kind of think about it and start to kind of empathize, you know, in a way it, 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 it starts becoming clear like, oh, God, he, he's being asked to kill this, like really f- being forced to kill this other person when he doesn't want to. It's that's like h- how do you how do you deal with that? How do you <laughs> reconcile right. that? How do you live through that and continue killing and just be so you get a sense of that, like each and every one of them was transformed in this way at one point or another where they right. just they had to they had to start killing. And it wasn't something that was glorified. Yeah. In any way, it wasn't glorified in this movie in, in, in a broader sense, like in a, in a, in a, I think in a micro sense, like each character, yes, glorified it in, in their own way, right? Because they had to. But in a macro sense, like this movie did not glorify these deaths and these killings and this violence in, in any way. Yeah. It, it was scary. Yeah. I also like that that first killing doesn't happen from the relative safety of the tank. It's yes. much more personal because I think there is there is a difference when like you're behind the steel and the iron and you have your gun in front of you as opposed to like this is a human being begging for his life in front of you. Pull the trigger like yeah. that. So I, I like that choice, like from a script perspective, which is the perfect transition, because that's what we're talking about next uh, is is the writing of the film. Um, one of the things I like best about the writing of this film is how quickly we're introduced to all these characters. And we kind of know everything we need to know about them in that first scene when they, when they first meet our, our, our audience surrogate and Logan Lerman, like we, Mm -hmm. we get all their personalities across. We get, we get like right away who we should be most terrified of. Like that becomes really clear. We, we figure out a little bit about who's who Brad Pitt's character is. And, you know, it brings us into the fold really quickly and really efficiently. Yeah, yeah, agreed. In the way that I think the script builds builds on these characters in a way piece by piece give us, you know, more of of themselves, more of their layers, you know, in their interactions with Logan Lerman's character and interactions with each other. Um that that you know really doesn't feel like exposition, you know, laid on exposition. Um it really feels natural. In this case, you know, this the the script work really really allowed the characters to just act you know act their characters and mm-hmm. and and in in that way we we get a sense of who they are throughout the film only other thing i really wanted to mention about the script is there are things in this movie that should not work like on paper this this dinner sequence should be this dead zone in this movie where you have you know battle scene battle scene battle scene okay let's hang out in a german house and just have yeah. a nice meal and it, play the piano it's a long it's a long scene yeah i mean it's a good 15 20 minutes like it goes on but yeah. i think somehow uh because it's so well written and god so well acted by everyone involved that it becomes the highlight of the film to me in a film yeah. that's full of explosions and blood and gore and you know the ultimate kind of masculine uh imagery this scene i think is what really what really makes it uh stand apart from other from other war movies is showing this both this tiny bit of humanity and this bit of savagery within this same sequence yeah yeah and i think that's what um and i'll I'll add on i'll add on to to what you were saying before the pacing also makes it really work really really well it works well because all those things come together to continue this this kind of I guess 
trend through the movie of this sense of of un, unease mm-hmm. right throughout the film and and what makes it what makes it really interesting i think as as an audience is that we're used to that feeling through you know explicit scenes of violence and action and war but this is this is kind of you know what you would expect to be a much calmer you know uh, 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 time and it's not it's not as as the characters and it's not as the audience it 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 makes you realize that in war there is no time to really rest right like even when you're resting it's not really rest you're always on the ready you're always expecting something that could potentially happen. Like you're always yeah. in the back of your head, just have this feeling of unease. It's a great point because I think they set that up in the movie too, because there's a scene earlier in the movie where they're going into a town and then there's like snipers. Yes. And, and so you going into a town does not mean safety. No, you know, you going into this house doesn't mean you're safe. There could be soldiers there. These women could be, you know, Nazi supporters and try to stab you like you have no idea. And as the audience, we're put in that same mindset. What these what these characters have been through in this war is important because right. that adds to this, you know, uh, I guess trying to figure out what the dynamic, you know, might be between between our main characters and these women in this house like you you right. you're never quite sure like are they going to are they going to do something wrong here are they going to you know yeah. uh, and and you know at the same time while you're like w- like who are these women are 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 they hiding something there's this unease on both ends right that as an audience we're just like it it ah yeah. wow and then when John <laughs> Bernthal and and uh, oh, Peña show up it gets even oh, more boy. Like yeah. you're like this could go a number of ways, and all of them are awful. Like yeah. it just yeah. so yeah. like you have already that feeling of unease, and it just ramps up throughout this very slow moving scene. But it never feels like oh god, I wish we would just end this. It's like this. It's this little bit of torture in this movie of yeah. this twenty minutes yeah. of that unease building up. Yeah, this movie. This movie destroys the feeling a feeling like feelings of patriotism. Yeah. And how blind that can make some people about about war, right? Because yeah. in this, I mean, you know, American soldiers and all that stuff fighting the good fight, but oh my god, it's it's terrifying, right? What they've become. Yeah, and, I mean, we're and, training people yeah. to shoot dead bodies. Like yeah. that's <laughs> that's the level we're at. Let alone what they're doing to people who are alive and still in Germany. Because yeah. I love that they also set that up by saying that. You know, Hitler has basically told every man, woman, and child, you're now a member of the Nazi army. Yes. So do your job. So you know no one is to be trusted from this very American perspective. Also, as as far as the script is concerned, I think it's um, – I think this goes goes in with that. But how the tank battle scenes were kind of scripted oh. and, and formulated. Beautiful. Because um, just – yeah, just putting together – these action scenes and each each action scene, you know, kind of highlighted a different, I don't know, maybe different strategy or a different way that the tanks were utilized. Right. It was just was just amazing and fantastic. It kept each each action scene kind of fresh. Right. Um, and it's something and, we haven't seen on screen. Before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. And so so kudos to just how they how they scripted and, and set up and paced a lot of these a lot of these action scenes. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So that's actually a perfect lead in to our production value section, because I think some mm-hmm. of that can be folded under that. And I, I love the decision that Ayer made to use actual tanks. 
Like these are yes. actual working tanks. They didn't build a set for them to sit inside of. They didn't do it on a sound stage. Like they actually were driving actual tanks. And Michael Pena actually trained and drove the tank. Like this is all him doing his <laughs> own stunt driving. And you know, we I talked about earlier how like you know Ayer will put his cast and crew through horrific things. Like apparently they went through like a month long boot camp, and he encouraged them to get in fist fights with one another like, to like <laughs> increase this bond. So and I think. You know, I, I have I have different feelings on that. Like, part of me is yeah, like, that's yeah. cool that they had that that connection, but also I'm kind of like the it's acting, guys. Why don't you act right. like yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you don't actually have to punch him in the mouth <laughs> to get this across. <laughs> I, I, I remember hearing, and I think this was just a rumor um, that that Shia Shia did something. He to cut his, himself his in the face. face. He cut himself repeatedly. I, I don't. I don't remember if that was a rumor or not. Well, I mean, it's hard to tell at this point with the the legend that is Shia LaBeouf. Like, I don't know what to believe. But there is a lot of stuff out there that, you know, he said he he cut himself in the face repeatedly. Uh, He became a Christian on set. Like, he found Jesus uh, through this character. I don't know (laughs) how true that is. And he was was in an interview. He's like, I found Jesus, not in, like, a bullshit way, but in a real way. Like, I I am a Christian man now after going through this. And I'm like, dude, it's a fucking movie. Like, simmer down there, Shia. Your job is to act, not be the person. I got this crazy idea. Why don't you act like a Christian (laughs) instead of, like, having to become one? I also feel like they talked also in the beginning about how kind of outmatched the U.S. was in terms in terms of the tank technology. And I think they really yeah, showed yeah. that in that action sequence where they are completely outmatched and it takes their, their guts and their intelligence to, to defeat this, this German tank. And yeah. I, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. Like you oh, can really yeah. see the panic and the worry in everyone's face, except Brad Pitt, who is like, yeah. you know, playing, I've, I've heard in reviews, people um, referring to him as like the John Wayne archetype in this movie. And I think that's pretty appropriate. Like mm-hmm. he is very stoic and he does, he does have emotions. He does have feelings, but he's in the moment and he's just like, okay, we got to survive. And that's it. Everyone else can panic, but the captain of the tank has to, has to stay a little bit distant. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean in in that in that tank scene where where the three American tanks are going up against the German tank. I mean that was like as as slow as tanks are. I mean that takes it takes a lot to make that like suspenseful and yeah. like engaging. Yeah, it's not top gun here. It's not, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, it's not a jet. Like yeah. this is these are slow big things. Like, like this is the behemoth. like an ele- yeah. like yeah, like the picture an elephant fight scene trying to like right. choreograph that. <laughs> like Right. That's what this was. And it was still just as just as engaging and 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 energetic as any any action sequence i've seen yeah the only other two things as far as uh production value are one the sound i thought the sound in this movie was phenomenal like we've used the word visceral a lot and i think that's what what lends itself to that is that like whether you're talking about the the sniper shot or the the actual tank sound effects the the machine guns like all of it feels real and feels like they did some real work like testing this out and seeing yeah. what these things sound like. Like I actually read some some reviews from like normal people watch the movie, people who had been in the army and were like, I jumped when I heard that because that that's what it sounds like. like yeah. I, and so I was like, I was really impressed by that and by the scars they created for Brad Pitt's back in that dinner sequence. Ooh, yeah. Like I remember that being genuinely shocking to me when I saw the film for the first time. 
Because, like, you're like, okay, this guy's been through shit. He's got scars on his face, whatever. And then they show him, like, topless from the back, and you're like, oh, wow. And oh, that, yeah. and that, like, without words, without, you know, obviously without any dialogue, without any context, it just brings you into this man's world of what he's really been through. Like, I yes. think it's easy to be cold and distant when you're successful, when you've never been hit. But this man has been hit repeatedly obviously inside this tank and mm-hmm. i thought that was like a really great moment production value wise and kind of script wise in a weird way yeah yeah and so um um two things two things in there one i i that was one of the things i really uh missed uh on my rewatch it was the the being able to really hear the richness of the sound mm-hmm. um because I, I i was just watching it on on you know my home theater system which is which is pretty piss poor at this moment <laughs> um well you're married I'm, you got other things to worry about than your well yeah i got other, i got other things to pay for <laughs> um no i actually just recently ordered some uh like a little speaker speaker system to go with it with nice. my television so hopefully that, that that'll be remedied very very soon um but i re- i do remember when i saw it in theater how how good the sound was good like i wish you you could have seen it in the theater because that sound right. system really lended itself to to really really letting you hear the richness of of the sound quality it was it was amazing it was so yeah. good um and then and then as far as uh brad pitt um, it's funny cause he's, he's as, you know, scarred up and as dirty as I've seen him and he is still gorgeous. In, and he's 50. This- he's 50. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like I was, I, I was just- watching it and you know, you know, Mike from War Machine versus Warhorse. Yeah, so I was texting yeah. him while watching this and he asked me a question and I, I answered the question, but completely incorrectly. I'm like, I'm sorry. My brain stopped working because Brad Pitt is topless on my television. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's understandable because he looks – I mean he looks like a Greek god. Like yes. he almost looks b- as good or better now than he did when he was making movies like Troy when he yeah. was younger. Like it's it's almost – I mean if I wasn't so turned on by it, it would be angering. Like it would just be <laughs> like you were in your 50s, sir. It is time to like fade into being 50 and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be exactly. the good-looking older guy. Like no, you're just a beautiful man. Right. Oh, it's yeah. so unfair. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's jump into our favorite scenes. So I think we need a little bit to talk a little bit more about that dinner scene, because I think yes. it is the most important scene in the film. And I just it's one of those scenes that I've only watched the movie, I think, two or three times. But I've watched that scene probably about six or seven. Like, I'll just queue up that scene to watch it because I think it's it's just stunning. Um, like it's so starkly different from anything else in the film and yet still feels real. It doesn't feel out of place. And I love, I love like the quiet honor of Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. Like when later in the scene, when we have, you know, Michael Pena and John Bernthal come in and they're like threatening them, he's basically like anybody touches them and, and I'll take care of them, you know? And I think, but he also doesn't go full white knight. It's not as if he's stopping them from like assaulting our main character and pouring alcohol yeah. on him. Like he just accepts it and lets them tell this horrific story of them shooting horses for three days, you know, like, but mm-hmm. I love that you see how angered he is by, by what he's had to go through. Like he's fine with killing Nazis. He's fine with killing people, but you can tell that, that scene with the horses really affected him. And I like that it ties in to the horse that he let go at the beginning of this film. Yeah, yeah, that is a really good point. Um, I mean, that that kind of because it does seem like a kind of, you know, small throwaway 
kind of scene yeah. at the beginning and 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 you know then to have that kind of connected with with the horse story later on was was great um but i think uh, all of all of the dinner scene really works so well but <laughs> in particular i think the build up to to the entrance of the rest of the crew right yeah. and how you 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 uh, they actually allow us to sit there and have you know Brad Pitt and Logan Lerman just kind of interact with these two women and and get this meal prepared and wash up and play a piano and have this have this sense of like okay we we've finally gotten a chance to have some some peace and some normal some 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 normalcy and and it really was i uh, if if i can steal from you his his quiet uh i forget the word you used quiet respect or or quiet honor mm-hmm. um that that he portrayed um that really worked so well um because it kind of made it made me feel like he he wishes he could go back to this he wishes he could go back to feeling like this or being like this kind right. of just quote unquote normal yeah right <laughs> and and i, I like as soon as as soon as the rest of the crew comes in, I like I see I see the dread on his face. Like, all right, that's it. Moment moment's over. Right. <laughs> I mean, over, I think I think this is where Brad Pitt over the years has be- has become kind of quietly an excellent actor. Mm-hmm. Like not just like he started his career as being like the heartthrob and you know Legends of the Fall and that kind of stuff, which doesn't take a lot of acting skill. But that moment that you talk about is one of the most powerful shots of the film. And it's a very subtle facial reaction because he's not going to freak out. He's not going to be like, oh, God, these guys are here now because that's not within his character. But just subtly, his face just kind of falls like the like the mirage is broken Mm -hmm. in that moment. Like this isn't normal. This isn't my wife. This isn't my dinner. This is war. And these guys are indicative of all the bad things that war brings. And they've just brought it into this home. And yes. it's heartbreaking. Yes. Like that moment yeah. is heartbreaking without without a heart wrenching scene, without screaming and yelling, without crying. Just this. It's over now. Like this respite that we had. It's done now. And it's yeah. cold. And, and it, it he, you could tell he felt safe with Logan Lerman's character because right. he had not been broken yet. Right. He had not been broken by war just yet. And so even even after even after Brad Pitt like forced him to kill somebody, even after all that, you know, like you have to kill these people and blah, blah, blah. And you still understood that Brad Pitt kind of he he envied Logan Lerman's character oh, yeah. in a way. <laughs> he envied and, him and was strangely protective of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very. And I mean, the, the crew could tell. They yep. were they were not happy. That's why they attacked. Like it's like, <laughs> oh, this has to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and 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 that 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 also like you know, you could you could tell that this was kind of a unit that felt like okay, you know, this is this is our you know, this is our leader. This is our you know father figure in a way. And now he's got this new kid that right. he's he's that that he's treating like his favorite who just who just showed up right like what the hell what's that about and you you could you could tell that they were hurt by it but they acted out right right you know, they act they they acted out in a way that was you know violent or mean and and it, it just it just went to kind of like you know show how how the dynamics between this crew were really uh, uh, like they they weren't as like uh i guess evil quote-unquote right. as you know as 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 you know they were maybe you know made out to be like in you know in the middle of fighting 
Nazis. Right. Yeah. And I think most movies would have stopped there. Most movies would have been like, this is bad enough. These are, we've shown how awful this all is. But Fury, like it does, because it's David Ayer, goes that extra step, has yeah. this, this girl die and Logan Lerman try to like uncover her from the rocks. And then you have John Bernthal's character dragging him away, like screaming at him. Like, you think you're Jesus Christ? You can't bring her back from the dead. Like, this is war. Like, you feel that this is war. And it just drags him back, like literally drags him forcibly back to the tank. Like, there is no safety here. There is no happiness. Get back in the Iron Beast. Like, it's just like, like, I think the message was already there, but it really hammers it home. Yeah, and I, I I felt like that was John uh, John uh, Bernthal's character. Um, that was him being his most compassionate to Logan Lerman's mm. character. Like it 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 felt like in his own right twisted weird way, right? Because there's nothing character. you can do. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it you know it felt appropriate for his character. It almost felt like look look dude like you this is yeah like you said like this is war like this is you know but it did it didn't feel like he was necessarily being an ass about it right. right? For the first time, maybe in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he wasn't he wasn't necessarily being like explicitly like compassionate towards him or anything. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, like nothing like that. It's interesting because Bernthal has these odd moments of compassion, even earlier in the film where he says, like, you should eat and make sure he sees you eat. Like he didn't have to do that. Like he could have just like let him suffer more. So he's not like although he is the most over the top character in the film, he's not He's not insanely over the top. Like there are moments of humanity hidden in those lines. But even even that scene, even that part where he told him to eat, I feel like that was more a consequence of like our leader, who I respect right. dearly, has told you to do something. So, so don't get me do in it. trouble. Yeah. yeah, you better sure. you better do it. You better show him that respect yeah. and do what he says. That's a good point. Um, and that's just that's just the respect and the love that he has for War Daddy. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I also think uh, I'll let you uh, talk about any other favorite scenes, but I also think that just the action sequences are so incredible in this movie from the very beginning. Like, I think it's a really smart decision to have that that scene against the tree line because you can really see what kind of damage the ammunition does, like literally uprooting trees that have probably been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years and just turning them into kindling. You know, and you almost didn't even have to have the gore of shooting people to see, like, how terrifying this is and what kind of danger these tanks in this situation poses, which I think is just super smart from a directorial perspective. Because, like, yeah, it's a tank and we know tanks create damage, but very few of us have seen tanks in action. So to actually show that against the tree line, I think, was was really great. My only other, I guess, like, you know, past the dinner scene and past the action scenes, my my only other favorite scene is – I guess every time uh, uh, um, Shia LaBeouf's character uh, says his catchphrase, every time he fires fires uh, ammunition, <laughs> he always yells "On what?" Yeah. Whenever uh, Brad Pitt tells him to fire, <laughs> which I thought was which I thought was great. It was right. It, it kind of it gave him you know a, a, another layer. Like this is something that you know we all well not all of us. I'm sorry. Um, uh, we know people who have that like kind of tick or that like right. superstition or that thing that they do every time, you know, basketball players do something every time they, you know, maybe shoot a free throw or, or whatever. Right. And that was his, that was his thing. And it was, you know, not only it being kind of humorous, you know, <laughs> in a way, but it was just, it was something that, you know, this is something, this is something that keeps him gives him a routine. Right. It also shows kind of the insanity of war too. Like there's so much going on 
Like, uh, what yeah. do you want me to fire on? Like, <laughs> I've got choices here, War Daddy. Like, maybe yes. give me a direction instead of just shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do want to get your thoughts. Um, I have a few of my own, but I do yeah. want to get your thoughts on the final huge, like, battle sequence where mm-hmm. they're, you know, making their last stand. Um, and what you thought about that in context of, like, the rest of the movie or just, you know, war movies in general. And like you talked about earlier in the movie, you never know who is safe. Like, this isn't a movie. Like, if if they would have had literally anyone in that tank die, I wouldn't have been surprised. And they, they really kind of come true on a lot of that. Like, you have your 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 kind of final last stand. And I love – actually, some of my favorite bits are um, Michael Pena in in this final scene with, mm-hmm. with with the grenades kind of throwing the grenades out and him diving on the grenade i don't i don't know how realistic that was that his body would have contained the blast inside inside the tank uh but yeah, but it worked I, for me like theatrically yeah yeah i i feel like as far as realism yeah i, I mean maybe he would have contained the blast not the sound everybody yeah. would have been deaf in yeah. that tank afterwards yeah. <laughs> the echo um, yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah, I, 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 I would agree. I think it, it, it is definitely, you know, from what I can remember, from, from, from what I've seen, one of the best last stands. Um, it, it did kind of disappoint me a little in that, I guess, up until that point, I, I felt like they had avoided a lot of the typical um, romanticized versions of, of what happens in war and the whole like last stand sort of a thing feels like one of those romanticized like cliches of war movies where right. all right our our three four whatever like few you know heroes have to stand against hordes of you know this this enemy and right. they're gonna take out as many as they can and they're gonna die in honor but you know that like it, it felt very cliche and and it felt kind of anti uh, anti what the message was of the rest of the movie mm. this is war is dirty it is it is not the romanticized version that you think about um and this this whole hero thing you know doesn't happen that's mm. that doesn't happen in war but but if you do if you do take the tack of war is dirty and this is awful wouldn't the opposite of that having wouldn't wouldn't brad pitt survive this oh yes 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 you know and that's and that's why and that's why the scene does still work ultimately right. um but but definitely like going in and and like kind of my first time watching it that that was that was kind of the feeling that I had and so I like kind of I I go back and forth like the scene absolutely works and it isn't so much of a cliche you know where where you know uh, Brad Pitt survives although Logan Lerman does survive right so that was I I, I don't know if I would have liked it better if he didn't survive i'm i'm still kind of struggling with that i i I kind of like the idea that he survives only because a nazi soldier like let him go basically (laughs) and showed him mercy the kind of mercy that he would not have or kind of the kind of mercy that he was trying to show yeah nazi soldiers in the beginning but would not at all anymore it makes Um, you wonder like who that character would become after that moment like does that make him question all these lessons that he's learned in the tank is like, yeah. look, there is humanity even in evil. Like what we think of as evil, there's humanity there too. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and I don't know that it would have affected Logan Lerman's character um, as much if, if I'm to believe that he's ultimately been, you know, completely changed by war at this point. Right. Um, but I think it 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 does, you know. Put, and I don't know if this was his mess. If Dave, this was David Ayer's message in in that, but it does 
make us question the humanity of the other side. Like there yeah. is there is a Logan Lerman character on the other side as well. And it's the first you know? time in the movie we get that, really. I mean, we do yes. have the scene with the guy who's executed, who's showing pictures of his family, like, don't kill me. But I think this was the first real moment of like, oh, there's there might be some innocence there, too. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. All right. So the theme of this film is justice. And I um, so let me just place it to you first. How do you think this theme plays into the movie? I think justice, when I think about justice, I think what we like to think about is this like, you know, being being fair. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that having a kind of kind of having a nice or or or. Um, uh, the uh, kind of having a nice connotation right. surrounding it, but like this but is justice, correct. This is right. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is correct. This is right. This is moral, right? Right. Um, but but justice, um, can also be very violent and very immoral. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, and this this that's what this film felt like it was going for. Justice in this film was killing the other side that was trying to kill us. That's justice, uh, more or less like kind of an, an eye for an eye. You know, and and that it it played with kind of your own sensibilities of like, okay, how far is how far is too far when you're in war, right? right. How, yeah. And 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 that's and that's what this that's what this film kind of you know for me tried to try to tackle or tried to you know get us to think about and and how that yeah so that's yeah. that's kind of how I felt like yeah yeah I also feel like justice depends on your perspective. You know, there's a there's a line in here. I think Shia LaBeouf's yes. character says, like, what we're doing here is a righteous act is what he talks about. And like if you uh, if you take it from their perspective, you can see that. But if you look at it from outside of war or maybe from the German side, like nothing they're doing is righteous. Like they're literally right. running over people with tanks, cutting them apart with weaponry like this is not this is not simple justice. Like there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of vengeance that goes into what they're doing too. Like they are against our side. Look at what that kid did, you know, and especially the scene that really stands out is Brad Pitt's character, like telling Logan Lerman, like, this is your fault. Like this man who is burning alive, who I just had to shoot in the head. This is your fault. And kind of like, and now your justice is you have to make this right. So, and that leads us to that scene where he's, you know, essentially forced to assassinate uh, this, this Nazi in cold blood. You know, someone who's been captured, someone who is not of any danger in that moment. And I think from Brad Pitt's character, from War Daddy's perspective, that is justice. That is moral. That is right. This is just recompense for everything that's happened already. Right, right, right. And and as a society, I think, you know, especially in like Western society, maybe justice kind of is synonymous in a lot of ways with you know, prison or, you know, the, 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 you know, criminal justice system, you know, finding justice is bringing somebody through the courts and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this, this justice is a very different type of justice. This is a, you know, like I am, I am an executioner and, you know, I, I reserve the right to, to kill anyone on this battlefield. And that is, that is justice. Um, and it just, it, it kind of speaks to how, um, how different and you know just like you said how different perspective and and kind of where you're positioned can affect how you see justice and how you act on justice so to close out the show we're going to talk about the movie we're pairing this with uh which is david ayer's 
uh, newest movie, which of course is Suicide Squad. So I wanted to pair this with a David Ayer movie, and I figured that I felt like Fury was a better choice because you have kind of morally ambiguous characters all working in a team, which is kind of what we have in Suicide Squad. Granted, in a more technicolor comic book way, uh, but kind of a similar group of people in a lot of ways. So what yes. are your expectations for Suicide Squad? You looking forward um, to it? I, I am looking forward to it. Um, and part of it is because uh, finally – a DC film is coming out that's not directed by Zack Snyder. Yay! Uh, so. Thank you. Thank <laughs> so God. we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm. I'm. I'm hoping. I'm hoping WB gets uh, the Warner Brothers gets a win out of this. Just, I mean, it almost literally can't of, be worse, right? Than yeah. Batman. I mean, like, I'll almost be more impressed if it's worse. I, <laughs> look, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I. I thought. I thought Batman v Superman couldn't be worse than Man of Steel. Um, and, and I. And I don't even hate Man of Steel. Uh, but, but I thought that movie, you know, it can't be worse than Man of Steel and, and in, in, in yeah, it was, uh, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm going to refrain. You're not going to jinx. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Not anymore. I've learned my lesson. Um, but I definitely trust, um, David Ayer a little bit more. Um, and I think this, this movie, at least the way the trailers are are putting it out, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit more fun. It's going to be a little bit. It's going to play it a little bit more loose, yeah. right? Not going to be as serious and brooding, you know, as as Zack Snyder wants his his universe to be. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and, and, and it, it it'll be nice to see the villains, yeah, you know, get get their which are kind know, of the highlight shine. of DC anyway, like. Oh yeah, DC's not yeah. so much about the heroes; it is about the anti-heroes and the villains. So it'll be For nice. Sure. It'll be nice to get to see that. I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm looking forward to this. Like, I feel like I should know better <laughs> at this point. You're, uh, you're you're questioning why you have optimism. Yeah, left why do I have hope? Yeah, like why do I have hope all. for this? Like this, <laughs> I shouldn't. Because when I first saw the trailer, I was like, "Fuck that! That's gonna be fucking dumb." No interest. But as more trailers have come out and more more things have come out about it. I'm kind of interested in it. Like I like the cast except for Jai Courtney. Cause he just, he's fucking awful and everything. Yeah. I, yeah. The uh, most boring, like, and this is saying something. They keep the, trying to make him happen. He is somehow the most boring white guy in Hollywood. Like, and that is saying <laughs> something. Cause there's a lot of boring white dudes in Hollywood, but uh, he, he takes the cake. Like, I think he's been in like one, maybe two good movies. And then he just proceeds to ruin everything else he's in. It's not look, that he's bad. He just makes everything worse. Yeah, look if if you're if you're an attractive white male with a good physique, just you'll get every chance. Oh in yeah, the world yeah. To be and an sometimes actor. <laughs> that works out. Sometimes you get Channing Tatum, who's and I remember you guys talking yeah, about this yeah, on yeah, on yeah, Cinema yeah. Bun, where like when he first started, I mean, he was in like dance movies and yeah, just what the hell? just terrible. But he's like he's grown as an actor and he's he's done some good work. Jai Courtney yeah. has just been like, nah, just I'll just be me. I'm good. I'm just going to stay right here and be completely mediocre at everything. But other- we're, we're, we're going to come back to this conversation in a couple of years when when Jack Courtney is accepting his Oscar. So oh, I will oh, just God. I just want you to I want you to put a pin in this. Oh, God. Why do you say hurtful things? Why do you like the Oscars aren't bad and white enough? We got to give Jack Courtney an Oscar. Uh, but other than Jack Courtney, like this movie looks fun. Uh, although the Jared Leto, Jared Leto, uh, 
kind of stories I hear don't make me terribly happy. Like this whole like yeah. sending used condoms and you know sex toys to people. Like uh, it's it's again we talked about we talked about this movie. Like try act like yeah, you don't like, need what? to you don't need to like become the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> like you could just act like the. Didn't we learn from Heath Ledger? Like the Joker killed Heath Ledger. Can we not yeah. like go full on into the method? Like we don't need to like, go Anthony, there. Anthony Hopkins did not murder and eat people that for we know of, of the lambs like, that okay, we know fair enough fair enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah. allegedly yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's like you know that stuff worries me and i'm not super happy with the the look of the joker but i like that they're trying something different i like that they're kind of putting yeah. themselves out there but we'll see so i have i have like slightly high hopes for this movie despite my general like kind of not liking of most comic book movies that have come out in the last couple of years like i'm yeah. still somehow dumb enough to look forward to this so <laughs> i will i will I, yeah I, I would be really curious to see if you enjoy this more than uh civil war which i liked which was fine like i just feel okay, like yeah. it's i didn't hate it i thought it had good points and bad points uh, but I enjoyed most of Civil War. Like, it's not something that I'm like, oh my god, I have to see that nine times. Like you and you sure. and Tanja, like you had, like just <laughs> you were like ca- literally caping up for for Marvel in that movie. Uh, but it was fine. It was a it was a it was a solid little not little. It was a solid superhero yeah. movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I am. I that think- is. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that is that is the not not to turn this into like a superhero film like conversation, but that is the one thing that I I do hate about Marvel movies at this point, it, it, especially in comparison to to oh god, I, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the one thing the one thing that Zack Snyder gets right is making his films his superhero films look like films, like and not just like cookie cutter kind of right. like. You know, productions like Zack Snyder. I mean, they look like bad films, but they do look like films. Yes, yes. (laughs) They look they look like he actually like kind of put some thought into the cinematography and making it like really. God, I wish he was just a cinematographer because he's so so talented, but so dumb at the same Uh, time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like if 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 I think the maybe the the script work and character building that they do in a Marvel universe and the cinematography from from the dc from at least from Zack snyder if you put that together that i think you get like a pretty pretty great film yeah out of that yeah i agree i'm, I'm not sure Zack snyder had a script for batman versus <laughs> superman like it felt like like costumes go <laughs> like that was kind of it so i mean that's i so i am kind of looking forward to it with a couple reservations but i i honestly i will not be surprised if Suicide Squad ends up being my favorite comic book movie of the year. Yeah. Because I wasn't yeah. a huge fan of either Deadpool or Civil War like most of the, most of the rest of the world was. Like I thought yeah. both of those were, to me, about even and about fine. Like I enjoyed them, but I wasn't going to be like, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that again. And I think Suicide Squad maybe is more my speed. Maybe I need the the darkness and kind of the the dark, gruesome humor of a David Ayer comic book movie. We'll yeah, see. yeah. I'm maybe maybe my biggest worry out of Suicide Squad is just in how they treat the ensemble. And I mean, I mean, I don't I don't have any reason to suspect that David Ayer won't be able to balance everybody, but I, I can I can see the you know the the suits up on the up on the top floor coming down and saying, "Hey, 
uh, that that Margot Robbie, she's popular. Uh, make sure she's she's in it a lot. <laughs> like, and I think yeah, I think that probably will happen. Which yeah, as yeah. Uh, as for my hormones, makes me very happy. Uh, but not sure <laughs> as a uh, as an audience member. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna yeah. be the guy who's like, you know what we need of less Margot Robbie and Skippy clothing. Like, I'm sure, not gonna be sure. that guy. Like that. Fair enough. That ain't me. <laughs> so. <laughs> I just yeah in 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 films with big on especially superhero films like yeah. I I don't want another Wolverine sure uh, happening where like, he you know that character just overtakes the whole film and it's all about them yeah absolutely totally agreed and again another example of uh, as uh, my hormones will not complain about Hugh Jackman being shirtless <laughs> in that either so I kind of get I get the thought process so what I'm saying is I should be a producer like someone yes. give me a job that's that's what I'm saying <laughs> all right uh, so before we head out one more time tell people uh, where they can find you and your show online yes uh, so that is the cinema bun podcast uh, you can visit our website cinemabunpodcast.com we have a Facebook page go and check that out um, we are on Twitter uh, at cinemabuncast. Uh, and, um, if you, if you want to check out my tweets, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ethiopian boy. Nice. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for being on the show again. No problem. Appreciate it. Hi everyone. That's it for another episode of pop culture case study. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more great podcasts, check out followingfilms.com where you can hear shows like Hydrate Level 4 and The Best and the Worst of the Best. Now, if you want to connect with the show a little more, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can find us on all social media under either Pop Culture Case Study or PC Case Study. But the best way, I think, is Twitter, and that's at PC Case Study, and I'll be sure to interact with you there. But if you really want to go the extra mile, feel free to go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy, and there you can donate to the show on a per-episode basis, and you can even get rewards for those donations. Now, the next time you hear me, we will be doing a new release review for Suicide Squad, so hopefully Mike will join me for that. Until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Brad Pitt is so gorgeous. You just you look at him and like, oh, he hasn't showered for weeks. No, that's, that's fine. Yeah, it still looks good. Still, still okay. <laughs> <laughs>